So if you take your Bibles out or turn your Bibles on, whatever your method is, we're going to go to a very familiar and powerful and rich and thick and deep passage of Scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to do my best today, since Pastor Chad's already been up here a while, to read through these rather lengthy verses quickly so we can give him just a few moments to break before we get him to come back and join us at the end. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, and you know, I used to be a King James guy and a New King James guy, really have for all my life. Most of my study of materials and resources are still connected to Strong's and King James, New King James, and lexicons from the King James, but I I fell in love several years ago with the New Living Translation, and um, I I think the reason I did that is because so many people, so many people that I meet today have the privilege of meeting. Um, coming into the church or coming to God, feeling God do something in their lives. So many people today are coming from a place of total inexperience with some of the things that are ultimate and fundamental to you as a Christian in the Bible Belt. Um, Side note, I promise as you're turning, I'm going to get there. I was watching a a nightly news report the other evening and um, they had sent unbiasedly a camera crew out on the streets of a major city in the United States of America and they were asking random people on the streets all ethnicities all different walks of life if they could if they made a statement from a children's book to finish the statement like Goldilocks and the three bears or little red and so on and so on and so on. So many things that have been fundamental for over a century in early American history. And they were asking these people at random to finish some of those book titles and some of those statements and this generation had no clue. Eight, nine out of 10 people couldn't, had no idea, no frame of reference to, to, to some of these things that have been the bedrocks of early elementary education in America. Now, I say that to say this, if people can't tell you some of the basic fundamental children literatures, literary works that formed the American culture, how many of you know they don't know the Bible today? How many of you know if you ask them a Bible verse, a chapter that, that, that they wouldn't know that today? You have to understand that while we know Bible, we know doctrine, we live in the South, we understand worship. This is the buckle of the Bible belt, so to speak. There's over 200 churches in Northeast Louisiana alone. I have been in states that don't have 200 churches in their state. Give you a staggering statistic in one organization that we're affiliated with in the Assemblies of God. When we went through the church multiplication network planning process of of them coming alongside of us to help us accomplish our dream and goal to plant a living, vibrant, spirit-filled, word-based, community-driven church in Monroe, Louisiana, Northeast Louisiana, they were very eager to come alongside of us to help and to give financially to this work. And, and that really shocked me. I, I didn't know there were organizations that did that. And so as I got to know their leadership and asked them why they do this and what the heart is behind this, you know what they told me? That, that in their greatest year of church planning, their largest net, their largest net of church planning growth in the assemblies of God in the entire United States of America was only 30 new churches in one year. You want to know how many churches they plant a year? Over a hundred. Do you know what the difference is there? Seventy plus are closing a year. So even if they plant a hundred new churches a year, it takes planting a hundred new churches a year just to keep up with the churches that are closing in a year. When Barack Hussein Obama in his presidency two presidents ago stood up and said, we live in a post-Christian nation in America. The Bible Belt got frustrated, got flabbergasted. How dare you say that? And we thought he was an enemy for saying that. The truth was we didn't want to hear the truth. He was just telling you America's in a post-Christian era. There are more non-Christians in America today than there are Christians. 
America's the third largest missionary field on the planet. We sent missionaries a decade, a century ago to Argentina. Now Argentina is raising up missionaries, sending them back to America. People don't know the Bible today. So I just wanted to take some time today and explain why we try to present why don't we try to slow it down and explain, break it down in layman's terms so everybody can understand, no matter if you've served God for, a, for 60 years or no matter if you you finding God or God is finding you today. Over here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18 in the New Living Translation, which is a very plain translation, plain spoken, the way we would speak today. These words are written in red. This means and indicates these are the words of Jesus. He said, watch out. Now, anytime you see in the Bible, watch out. Don't be deceived. A little red flag should go up in your mind and should say, this is a point the enemy's going to try to trick me. This is a place I'm going to be deceived. Jesus went through special procedures to make sure that this was an area you would know to watch out for. The devil's going to try to trick you here. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. How many of you, you know, Pastor Chad said today, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands about marriage and about relationships. Side note, we've got some stuff coming for you. We are a deliverance church. We are a freedom church. We are a healing church. We are a restoration church. We believe all that is a part of the ministry of Jesus. But how many of you also now understand, as Pastor Chad explained his heart, we believe in deliverance, not just from cocaine, but deliverance in the pain in your marriage. We believe for healing for your family. And we've got some stuff coming this year. Um, for relationships and for marriages and for families. We've got a power pack year lined up for many of you here. But how many of you would also say, as Pastor Chad asked you earlier to raise your hand about your marriage, that you at times have done good things for people. Let's just be honest in church. You've done it so that other people would see you. How many of you would be honest and say, well, I stopped and did that. I picked up that trash, did this, said that, hoping, playing a manipulating game that somebody else would see it and it would open a door for this. The, the devil tries to trick us here. Jesus knows that about humanity. He created us. He said, watch out. Here's something you need to be on guard for. Don't do your good deeds just to be admired by others. Because the truth of the matter is you're losing the real war, reward, which is from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. Here's what they do. They do it and they say, hey, look at me. They blow the trumpets. They stand up in the church. They stand on the corner of the streets and they call attention to themselves and their generosity or their acts of charity. You, you ever known anybody like that? Ever seen anyone like that? Jesus said, don't, don't, don't do that. Jesus is teaching here about giving. He said, I tell you the truth that when people do this the wrong way, they're duped, tricked, deceived of the enemy. When they manipulate the principle of sowing and reaping, they receive their reward when they get the admiration of others. But when you do determine and decide in your heart, decide in your heart to give to someone in need, Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give, but give your gifts privately. And your father who sees everything, then he will reward you openly. How many of you know that God's reward is better than man's reward? Amen. I want God's reward. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. And I tell you the truth, that's all the reward that they will get. But when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you openly. Amen or oh me. Some of us are saying, boy, I need to change my, my prayer life. Anybody ever noticed how easy it is to pray in church? Everybody ever noticed how difficult it is to pray at home? He goes on to say, but when you pray, don't babble as the Gentiles do. They just go on and on and on and on. How many of you, when you started praying, you kind of babble and say the same thing on and on and on? Jesus said, don't do that. They think their prayers are gonna be answered merely because they're making them long and they're repeating their words over and over again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask Him. So pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. 
and may your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive me of my sins and help me to forgive those who've sinned against me. And don't let me yield to temptation, but rescue me from the attacks of the evil one. For if you forgive those who sin against you, don't you know your father will also forgive you of your sins against him? But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Woo! Woo! Don't want to spend a lot of time there today, but this passage in Jesus' teaching kind of, kind of seems to make the assertion that our forgiveness is dependent on the forgiveness that we give. How can we boast that we've been forgiven of our sins and we're loved by a God that we can't see when we can't forgive men's sins who are made in the image of God who we can see? How did you receive the love of God if you hold grudges in your heart against men of God? Tough. That's kind of like that illustration. Jesus says the servant borrowed a bunch of money and when he couldn't pay, he begged for mercy and the debtor released him of his debt. And then he went out and he took a man by the throat that owed him $100 and demanded him to pay. And when the king found out that he wouldn't forgive others that he had been forgiven, he said, you know what? I don't forgive you either. <laughs> wow. And when you fast, anybody noticing a reoccurring theme here? Check this out. We're going somewhere today. Part three of our Holy Habit Sermon Series. Jesus said, when you give. Jesus said, when you pray. And Jesus said, when you fast. He said, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look as miserable as they can and disheveled so that people will admire them. They'll draw attention to themselves and others will realize they're fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, be sure and comb your hair, wash your face, treat yourself normally so that no one will notice you're fasting except your father who knows what you're doing in private and then the father who sees everything again he will reward you openly got to make an apology the other day we were in staff and the first staff meeting of the month we often have um, what's called staff leadership development staff meetings a little bit longer staff meeting we do some special things on that day and Pastor Rhonda always makes sure her and Miss Melba that the staff members or spouses that have birthdays that month, that they get a cake or they get a pie or they get food and gift cards and, and all kind of stuff. And uh, the other day I was going around the room, we're just starting on holy habits. We're just beginning the end of the year. And I said, come on, get some cake, get some cake. And I was talking to a staff member. He said, no, no, no. And I went back. I said, man, get you something to eat. Over. He said, no, no, no. I said, so finally, everybody, I said, man, are you going to eat with us today or not? And he just finally put his head down. And I said, this brother's fasting. And I, I'm up here wanting people to fast. He's actually fasting, the only one fasting. And I'm trying to tempt him. I said, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm trying to get him to eat. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. I apologize today, Pastor. Father, thank you for this rich passage of Scripture. We've got a few minutes together this morning, centered and gathered around your Word. I know your Word has so much to say to us about these three subjects that are a part of the holy habits of Christianity, giving and praying and fasting. Would you come today and do what I can't do? Would you minister deeply to people, open their hearts, their minds, their lives, their faith? to grow and to be the type of people you want us to be to make a true difference in this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Would you guys put your hands together for Pastor Chad and the worship team? I just so enjoyed, so enjoyed my time with them this morning. Um, to set up a little bit of context about Matthew chapter 6 for those of you that uh, may not be familiar with these passages of Scripture, Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7 are oftentimes referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus goes out in the wilderness, his public ministry is began, and he, and he, he, he kind of sets down on a hillside, on a rock, and he starts teaching. And those teachings unfold in Matthew's gospel for the next three chapters, five, six, and seven. Almost every one of those chapters, almost every word of those chapters is written and read 
And these are some of the most famous New Testament sermons ever preached. There there have been countless and thousands, if not millions of sermons preached out of these chapters from this original sermon and teaching of Jesus. Again, this is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount in there. He covers the beatitude. He covers the teachings about the heart. He covers, he covers the practices of faith, how we as believers treat one another. And even for those of you that love eschatology and the study of the end of all things and the, 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 the duration of time, he, he even covers some doctrine of eternity, the eternity that is yet to come, the new heavens and the new earth. It's very rich in in material if you've never taken the time to study it. We could honestly spend the next, I believe we have three weeks left in the Holy Habit Sermon Series. We could, we could spend not only those three weeks, but probably two more full months just trying to cover these chapters and probably still not do them justice to everything that's in there. If you are a part of Oaks Church and you know anything about how our heart and aspiration is to start the year by working on and developing new habits, you may be aware that we went through great lengths this year to prepare a manual for you that would help you with your Bible reading plans, that would help you with prayer guides, that would help you with with some outlines and some guidelines to fasting, all to help you work on these disciplines to begin your year with God. Um, hopefully you've picked those up and if you haven't today, we, we make sure every week that we've got hundreds more available. Be sure and grab those resources, materials today. Some of you are not paperback, some of you are not paper bound. I believe we've also got a uh, QR code here that you can scan right there from your seat digitally from your phone that'll take you to some extra resources that are all digital. But again, the heart and the effort is to start moving you on this side of eternity into habits, into processes that make your life take on the shape of Jesus. How many of you know that Jesus, grace, he's a man, grace is a man, he's a person, the grace of God has appeared unto all bringing salvation. The grace of God has appeared unto all, bringing salvation. But check this out. The next verse in Titus, chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13, says that grace then teaches us that we should deny ungodliness, that we should deny worldliness, that we should learn to live our lives, discipline our lives, to live soberly, righteously, and justly in this present age as we look for with longing the return of the Lord. So what Titus lays out for us is grace will love you right where you're at. Grace will meet you in the halfway house. Grace will meet you in a broken spot in your marriage. Grace will meet you in a jail cell. Grace will meet you on a bar stool. Grace will meet you in suicidal thought processes. Grace will meet you in depression. Grace grace will meet you in addiction. Grace will meet you in divorce. Grace, there is no place dark enough for grace not to find you. Grace will find you right where, grace isn't afraid. He's not afraid of any one of those situations. But the next thing Titus tells us is grace loves us too much to leave us where we're at. Grace will forgive you of your sin, cover you of your sin, but but grace is never an endorsement and an empowerment to stay in your sin. Grace will find you broken, but grace is so powerful it will heal you. Grace will find you addicted, but grace is so powerful it'll free you. Grace will find you bitter and, and roll up right in your bitterness, but grace will bring joy and happiness to your life, vitality to your life, until you have hope and optimism and expectation in God. Grace is just wonderful. Grace lays out this pattern for us, Titus does, that he'll find you where you're at, but then through a process that we would call in the Bible Belt, in theology, in in, in Bible teaching, in the old days, he will start sanctifying you. He will start cleansing you. He'll start, in other words, discipling you or better yet, he'll teach you some things for you to start developing habits, what you think, what you say, what you listen to, how you feel, so that your habits start changing and you start looking more like God and less like your old self. You you don't have to look like me 
I, I don't want you to look like, I don't have to look like you. You, you can wear cowboy boots. I can wear sneakers. You, you, you can, it's, it's not about a, a, a oneness in a sense of all of us being like a little prototype carbon copy of one another. It's about us allowing God into our hearts in the darkest caverns and recesses of our lives where God's grace starts working and shaping us sharpening us, molding us, smoothing us, building us, creating us until we look like him, until we look like God. And the Bible says he'll find you there, he won't leave you there, he'll start shaping you, molding you, and all of that's happening as we're eagerly waiting on him to come get us and to release us from the tension that we're living in. The tension is, I have a human nature, I live in a fallen world, and when you cut me off in traffic, I want to tell you you're number one when I pull up next to you at the red light. <laughs> but at the same time, there's a spirit inside of me that says, man, that person's probably in a hurry today. They probably got too much going on in their life, probably talking about, God, I just pray right now that you would help that person and that whatever they got going on. And you know, that don't come natural for most of us. Amen or oh me. Somebody does you something, you want to do them something. This process of you becoming like Jesus, growing in holiness, growing in righteousness, growing in maturity is what James in the New Testament says is you becoming perfect. Now, in America, we think perfect like, like oh, that backdrop is perfect, like, like it's, it's flawless. But we set that up every week. And I guarantee you, I could walk over there right now and I can show you some broken pieces in that fin that I straightened back up this morning and may look straight, but it's not perfect. It's broken, trust me, because it gets set up and it gets torn down every week. We think perfect in perfect. The Jews thought perfect as in maturity, manhood. Perfect in the sense, I'm facing adversity, but the adversity can't scare me. The, the tension and the strain can't break me. It's building me and making me a better husband, a better father, a better companion, a better leader, a better Christian, a better man of God, so that when I'm squeezed, I let off the aroma of Christ's death in me. Remember that old Leonard Skinner song? Ooh, that smell. The smell of death that surrounds you. Every day you should be dying to you. And the smell that should be coming out of you is the smell of the life and the aroma of Christ who's living in your death. But oftentimes we, we got to stink, we stank. <laughs> and that's that flesh, that's that throat punch flesh, that's that show you your number one flesh, that's cut you back off in traffic flesh, that's you talked about me, I'm gonna talk about you. That's that, oh, you, 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 you didn't do this for the kids, well, I'm not doing this for the kids. You know, that, that thing that we all have in us. There's a process laid out in the Bible. He finds us, he starts growing us, maturing us, and then we live in that constant strain as we're waiting on him to, to get, come get us and totally deliver us from it forever. Those processes, not trying to be deep, trying to keep it simple today, are salvation, sanctification, and glorification. I was saved, I'm in the process of being saved, and one day, praise God, I'm gonna be saved. But what the Bible never espouses is I got saved then I can lay down on the journey and quit and give up on God, not live in this tension anymore and expect to experience salvation, sanctification, and glorification. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's a daily grind. It's a daily tension. And Jesus comes over here in Matthews chapter six, seven, and eight, and he says, here are three fundamentals to being Christian. Here are three holy habits ready for me, that are not optional. At Oaks Church today, giving was optional. Did, did anybody pass an offering bucket in front of you? We, we don't major on pressuring people to give. We, we believe that the new nature inside of all of us is a giving nature. God so loved the world, he gave his son. If you've been born and gone and you're like God, you understand the value of giving, the principles of giving, of generosity. I'm gonna talk to you about some of them for just a moment today, and we believe you'll give. There's, there's no pressure, it's, it's low pressure. But I gotta tell you something, I made it optional, but Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't say if you give, he said when you give. Jesus didn't say if you pray, he said when you pray. Jesus didn't say if you fast, hello. <laughs> Brooke, bought me, Brooke, Brooke packs my clothes. We're gonna be personal for a minute. 
Everybody likes when I'm open up. Brooke buys my clothes and packs my clothes. I remember years ago, my pastor, Pastor Shane Warren, years ago, I was sitting on the front row, and man, I used to wear these clothes. And we had an express, it was new. I mean, I have this big tie and vest, and I had black rim glass, and the hair to the side, I had hair then, and I had pointy toe shoes, and they curled up on the end, and slim jeans when I could wear slim jeans, and all this. And Pastor Shane stopped one Sunday, mid-sermon, he looked at me, and he said, you. He said, see, when you get married, Brooke and I was in, he said, it's going to happen about six months in. It happens with everyone, and she's, she's going to mark her territory. You're going to get up one Sunday and get ready to go, and your clothes going to be hanging. You're going to say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 what's happening? I thought she going to say, no, you're wearing this. He said, that's how every woman marks her territory. You mind this what you wear, and I'm letting everybody know he's mind this. I dressed him. I said, no, ain't never going to happen to me. About six months in, I got up, my clothes was hanging on the back. I don't even buy clothes no more. I just, Brooke buys them, Brooke lays them out. People say, you look GQ, you look handsome. Where'd you get that jacket you heard in sheep this morning? You look like the, I said, man, I don't know. For 12 years, Brooke's been buying my clothes, laying my clothes. I just wear what she tells me to wear. (laughs) Amen. Amen. (laughs) Anyways, back on Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. In this journey of being a Christian, Jesus said, it's not optional. By the looks of me in these white pants this morning, I could use some fasting. Amen. Brooke, she gave me these pants. And I went to put them on. She said, baby, those fit before deer season. I, I said, "Woo!" I said, I got to stand up there and talk to people about fasting today. And I ain't been fasting. But Jesus didn't say fasting was optional. Jesus said fasting is necessary. It is required. It is fundamental. Now, listen, there's all different types of fast. Some of you are going to love this. Do you know you can go on a word fast? <laughs> I felt some marriages right now. I said, I sure wish she would go on a word fast. <laughs> Pastor Chad was praying for those marriages today. We like to keep it humorous around here. Church is supposed to be fun. There, there are sugar fast, sweet fast, word fast, social media fast, cell phone fast. Ooh, I felt it right there. Some guy said, some guy said, I wish to goodness, I wish to goodness I could buy her a flip phone so she would talk to me and get off scrolling. There's all different kinds of fast out there in the world, but the point that I'm honing in on is when you get into this sermon series, when you get into the next two or three weeks here, I need you to understand, Jesus didn't make this optional. Jesus said this is fundamental, this is basic, this is key. These are habits that, that, that you don't do because you're Christian, or, or you don't do to become Christian, you do because you are Christian. Because you do have a relationship with God, this is the kind of life, the aroma that comes out of you. You're sacrificial, you're a giver, you're a prayer. More so than a gossiper. You're, 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 you're a prayer, a truster in God, more so than a relying human being on your own self-connection, strengths, or abilities. You're, you're, you're a faster, which, which means you understand the value of putting down this flesh so that the real you that is inside of you, your spirit that really makes you alive and lucid can soar. Give you an example right quick, and there may be someone in this room that, that's in this situation, so I, I, I don't want to be humorous for the sake of being misunderstood. You may be in here and you may have lost a finger. You, you may have lost an arm. You may have lost a leg in, in some tragedy or in some illness, circumstance, something. But here's the truth of the matter. So many of us think this body is who we are. This, this body says to us, I'm tired, so we let it sleep. This body says, I'm hungry, and we feed it. And so many of you are hungry right now, and the longer I talk, you're thinking more about where you're going to eat lunch. And this body says, I'm developing wrinkles, so you get some Botox, or this is sagging, so I get a cut and a tuck and a lift and a bend. You know, all these different things, this body is saying, that it needs we do because this body almost every day is our master that gives us the day-to-day dictates and demands and grinds of our everyday lives but when you fast what you say is I understand that if I lose an arm if I lose a finger if I lose an ear 
I am really still who I am because this body is just my earth suit and who I am is the spirit that is inside of me and that spirit has not been alive in a while. This body has been really alive for far too long and I got to put down this whole body so that spirit can soar and connect with God. And you don't fast while I'm on it to get from God. You, you fast. You don't, you don't say, oh God, I'm not eating so would you bless me with a Mercedes? It's no, I'm pushing this stuff down inside of me so that the God who's been speaking every day that your flesh has been preventing you from hearing so that you can actually hear him loud and clear because the flesh has been distorting the sound wave and you've not been able to hear the God that's been speaking to you every day so you put it down so you can tune in like Jesus said man don't live by bread alone man lives by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God and God is speaking today what is he saying to me what is his provision for my family right now for our lives for our future for our finances I need to put this old world down so that my spirit can soar up and connect with the God of creation to guide me in the way that I need to go all this wasn't even in the message today it's it's really just introduction but I want to jump on the first one I, I, I really do I got just a couple of minutes here today and we're gonna let you go we've had a wonderful time in God here's the first statement Here's the first statement, I've covered it. They're gonna throw this on the screen. When you give, when you give. Not if you give, when you give. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 6 and 1. Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired of others, for you will lose your reward from the Father in heaven. I'm gonna make this super simple. I'm gonna break this down super slow, and I'm gonna hope, and I'm gonna hope right now that some of you will take some notes. If you would have worked your way through the rest of Matthew chapter 6, like verses 1 through 5, 6, 7, or 8, Jesus makes about six points here, and I'm going to give them to you in an overview nutshell. Number one, write this down. Jesus said, when you give, when you give, it's not optional. When you give, it's not optional. We're going to talk about giving today. We're going to talk about generosity today. We're going to talk about that new nature today. But the very first thing you need to write down is Jesus said, when you give, which tells us giving is a part of the new nature, it's not optional. He said, when you give, when you sow, when you release, when you bless, be sure not to do it publicly. Number two, don't do it publicly. Don't do it publicly. He said, don't do it publicly, especially with the intentionality of your heart. How many of you know there are certain situations and circumstances that, that really call for you? you? You know, you may be in the parking lot and somebody's tire may be flat and, 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 and it's kind of a public thing, like everybody's watching, like you got the tire tool, you got the air pump, you know how to do it. Don't twist the scriptures and say, oh, well, Jesus said don't do it publicly, so don't go over there and help them because everybody will see me. That's, that's not what Jesus is after there. That's a, another thing he addresses later. He, what he's saying is don't, don't, don't think you're not supposed to be generous. Don't think you're not supposed to be a giver. Don't, don't, don't not do it publicly, but especially don't do it with the intention of your heart. I'm only doing this so that other people see me and think well of me. Don't do it with the wrong heart. Here's what Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 6, the first few verses there. He said, we should give to need. We should give to need. When you see those in need, when you see a need, when you see a need, God wants us to give to needs. He says, when you give to need, be sure after you've done it, that you didn't do it with the wrong heart, but then don't turn around and get on Facebook, don't get on the market square, don't get on the corners and blow a trumpet and draw attention to yourself that I did this. Now, there are some things that I would love to tell you about Oaks Church, how it started, that Brooke and I did, but I don't make it a habit to get up here every week and to say that. But what I can tell you is four or five people, 10 people, 15 people, 20 people that God brought around us very quickly and initially, now I can tell you what they did. I can tell you they worked, they worked for years for nothing. Gave the only tithes and offerings the church had. Just 
I had a conversation with the bank this week, and they said, hey, your first year, you wasn't even open, didn't even have church, and, and the church did so well financially at the end of the year. The church opened, and y'all have more stuff going on than you shake a stick at, and y'all don't do as good financially anymore. Can you explain that? And I said, it's simple. Nobody took anything the first few years. Now we've got golf carts, van routes, gas bills, light bills, mortgage. I mean, there's stuff everywhere. We, it changed. There's so many people that did so much, so sacrificially to start this thing, to be a part of this thing. And I can tell you what they did, but guess what? They would probably never tell you that. They would never tell you who they are. You know, they didn't do it to say, hey, look at me. I'm doing this so that I can be seen of you and I can blow my trumpet on social media to tell you that I'm doing this. But guess what I've discovered about God? If that's who you are and that's how you roll and that's what's really in your heart, God will make sure people know. God will make sure people know. You, you don't need me to tell you who those people are today. For any of you who's been around here for a year and a half, you know who those people are today. And the other people that tried to do it like Ananias and Sapphira for the wrong reason that came in saying they were doing something, presenting some, acting like, pretending, they stick out like a sore thumb. Say, oh man, they trying, uh, I see what's happening, uh, okay. It's quiet in here today, it's quiet, 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 quiet. It's quiet in this liturgical church. Liturgical church. Everything's orchestrated, he said, said, hmm. (laughs) Okay, all right, okay. I, I used to say denominations, and then I grew up a little bit and figured out that wasn't, that wasn't good to say either. It's quiet in this spirit-filled church today. He said, when you give, give in private. Listen to this statement from Anne Frank. I love this. No one in human history has ever become poor from giving. <laughs> no one has ever become poor from giving. No one has ever become poor from giving. Listen to this statement from Brian Tracy. Always give without remembering and always receive without forgetting. Always give without remembering. Oh, don't hold that over people. Say, oh, I remember when I gave that to you. I remember doing it. Don't hold that. Now I need you to do this for you. Give without remembering, but always receive without forgetting. Here's what the Bible says about giving, and, and, and we teach this sometimes in our growth track. There are many ways that people can give. You can give of your time. Here's what Ephesians says. Ephesians says the days are evil. The, the, the days that we live in, this, this day of Noah, marriage, giving in marriage, buying and selling, commerce, all the, the days, they are corrupted. And the Bible, the Apostle Paul says, so redeem the time, make the most of your time in this present world so that what you invest your time in is time well spent. You can give of your time. How how many of you say, well, I give of my time, but I don't have time to give. The truth of the matter is nobody has time to give. One thing that makes us all equal is we all have seven days in a week. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have 60 minutes in an hour. We all have 60 seconds in a minute. The Bible says you can come back and and you can give of your talents. I love this. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 12. He says, if your gift is prophecy, well, then prophesy. He says, if your gift is in serving, well, then bloom and get out there and serve. If your gift is in administration, administrate. If your gift is in gift giving, well, then give with generosity. Whatever your gift is, whatever the talent is that God's given you, don't set on your talent and look at God at his return and say, I was afraid to use my talent. Take the three talents and spend them on a worthwhile investment. That's what the Bible says to do. And then, of course, last but not least, I I, I love this. Give of your treasure. Give of your treasure. Here's what Jesus said. I wish I could reach in my pocket and pull out my phone. I'm going to be funny on myself. I wish I I could be funny and say I'm going to reach in my pocket and pull out my wallet, but these pants are so tight I couldn't get a wallet in them if I tried. <laughs> Brooke said fast. 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 I'm, I'm on fast, all right. 
I don't have a wallet, I have a phone. And in my phone are my credit cards or debit cards. <clears throat> this, is, this is tight, but it's right as we used to say around here. Jesus said, the thermostat to a man's heart is his checkbook. If you want to know where a man's heart is, if you want to know where a woman's heart is, if you want to know what a man values or a woman values, I didn't say this. The Assemblies of God didn't say this. The Ark didn't say this. The Baptist didn't say this. Methodist didn't say this. Presbyterian didn't say this. Episcopals didn't say this. Jesus said, if you want to know where a man's heart is, look at what he does with his money. Because we give, we invest in what we believe in. We give to what we believe in. We give to where our hearts are. Many ways you can give. You can give of your time. You can give of your talent. You can give of your treasure. And Jesus said we should do all three. How many of you love Dr. Ben Carson? How many of you love Dr. Ben Carson? First man in, um, in medical history to ever successfully separate conjoined twins at the head. Did you know he spoke in town at, at CCS, Cleveland Christian School, just a few weeks ago? I'm sure they didn't make that very public because they wouldn't have had room for people to sit in their auditorium there, but Brooke and I went. He did a phenomenal job. Listen to what Ben Carson said. Dr. Ben Carson said, happiness doesn't result in one's life by what we get. Happiness is the result in one's life of what we've given away. Joan Marquez says this, it's easier in life to take than it is to give. It's nobler to give than it is to take. The thrill of taking lasts a day, but the thrill of giving lasts you your lifetime. <clears throat> There's a, a few ways the Bible says, I'm gonna ask Pastor Chad if he'd start coming this way. There's a few ways that we are expected to give in the Bible. Number one, you may wanna write this down. When we give, to add to Jesus' teaching, we should give willingly not begrudgingly. That's why we use the low pressure contribute to this ministry giving strategy. We don't wanna twist your arm. We don't wanna manipulate you. We wanna teach you what the Bible says about sowing of your time, sowing of your talent, sowing of your treasure, and do it not begrudgingly, not hard-heartedly, not feeling mm, some kind of way about, do it willingly. We, we wanna follow the Bible that says we should give willingly, and then when we do it willingly, it leads to this immediately, cheerfully. Cheerfully. Anybody ever met a sour giver? <laughs> I know this is none of you. I know this is none of you. Tell you some, some old, you know, I, I, I wasn't always in a non-denominational church. I wasn't always in a community church. I wasn't always in a Bible-based church meeting at a college with all different age groups. And, and, and over my years of life, I've had the privilege of pastoring and some great churches and some of them have long histories and I've even preached sermon series about the greatest things I took away and learned from all those churches and I honor every one of them but in every church there's also not so great things every church no church is perfect I'm not here to get on to any of them say anything critical or negative any of them but in two of those churches I had somebody in the church call me into a meeting and remind me what they gave over something they wanted me to do I said, you must think you give to me. You don't give to me, you give to God. I'm just doing what the Lord tells me to do. Well, if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm not going to give. I said, well, you God. If, 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 if you want me to do what you want me to do, because you pull the purse strings with your giving, then I might as well worship you Sunday morning as God. You're not God. The Bible says you give willingly, you give cheerfully. You, 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 you don't do it hoping you can control something and control somebody. You realize you're not giving to man, you're not giving to keyboard, you're not giving to a building, you're giving to the kingdom. How many of you know there's a lot of kingdoms out there growing right now and the kingdom of God could stand to grow a little more right now, amen? The Bible says when we give, we give sacrificially. I love this, I love this. It's not sacrificial giving till it hurts. It's not sacrificial giving till it costs you something. For some people, sacrificial giving may be doing without a Starbucks for the day. I mean, there, there are people here, college kids here. Where's Riley at? Riley right here. Riley's right here, college kid. I mean, for her to give sacrificially of her time, of her talent, of her trip, it could be 
that she can't buy Starbucks this week. That may be hugely, it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. But there's some people in here, you could give $100,000 and never miss it. That's not sacrificial giving. It's not sacrificial giving till you miss it, till it hurts. Jesus took a field trip, went to the temple, leaned up, check this out, this, 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 this is weird to me, and he was watching the offering box. How many of you would not come back to Oaks Church if I was standing there watching the offering box on Sunday morning, right? Like that's the quickest not grow your church strategy there ever is in America. Go stand at the offering box. Okay, yeah, I see you shake hands today. Okay, offering box right here, right? <laughs> I walked in today, they got some new offering boxes, some big ones. They got some big ones. I said, man, Lord have mercy. Somebody, I hope nobody gives no hard time about this. We used to have these little bitty little things. They said they was hard to get into, so they got some. One guy told me, he said, Pastor, you can only get 33 $100 bills in that slot. If you don't come back here next week and have that slot cut out of there and get some bigger offering boxes, it's making it hard for me to put my money in there. I said, well, I'm sorry. I never tried to put 33 $100 bills through that offer. I just write a check, but you know, it's... Somebody got them some boxes. I'm not, I didn't even buy the boxes. I don't even know about... It. I'm standing back there watching. Jesus is watching. This one little lady comes up. She gets two copper mites. He looks at the disciples and says, who gave the most? He said, that guy that gave $3,300. And he said, no, 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 no. That guy never missed that $3,300. That lady that gave all she had, them little two copper mites. That's what really matters. It's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. You give cheerfully. You give willingly. You give sacrificially. But here's one that's been so perverted and twisted in the Christian church. It hurts my heart. But it's Bible. And so we got to preach it right, line on line, precept on precept, truth on truth. The Bible says you give expectingly, expectantly. Okay, we got anybody that farms in this room? J. Ross Ogden, where are you at? J. Ross, you here today? He, oh, there he is, J. Ross, over there. He's a farmer, right? I was, I was, I was twisting J. Ross's arm about a duck blind. Not about money, I'm about a duck blind. <laughs> Find me a duck blind, J-Rod. And he told me, he said, well, it really is no benefit for me because it floods my fields, it got water, and I got to go out there and clean all that mess up. He said, I'd rather just get my seed in the ground early. Why did he put that seed in the ground? Because he's expecting, in how many months? 90 to 120 days, depending on the grain, depending on the crop. He went out there, dried out that field, hipped up those rows, fertilized that soil, sprayed, expecting, he says, the biggest gamble. He said, buying a Powerball ticket ain't nothing compared to mortgaging your life that this plant's gonna grow and produce a harvest. Somebody needs to get a hold to when you take that $10, when you take that $1,000, when you change that car tire, when you open that door, when you do something sacrificial, when you give some form of generosity to God, even if it's all you've got to give, that you can expect from God a return that I gave liberally, so therefore from God I will receive liberally but the Bible says let not him that thinks when he gives sparingly that he shall receive any other way but sparingly here we say this all the time you cannot outgive God you can't outgive God I've tried I was standing right here at the missions banquet there was a budget we were over on this year at Oaks Church first year of the church we I think we had like a fifty thousand dollar budget we had set for kingdom builders they spent $110,000 at Oaks Church this year for foreign missionaries, local outreach, and ministry expansion. They were $60,000 over for missions work at Oaks Church. How many of you know that's okay to be over in that budget? That's 88.7, the cross radio station. That's life choices. That's, I mean, my good. That's all kinds. Of, if you're going to be over in a budget, that's one okay to be over in, right? I was standing right here at that banquet where they were raising money, not for Oak Church, for other ministries, for missionaries to preach the gospel, to reach. And one guy wrote a check and gave it to this guy. And before this guy turned back around, somebody gave him a check with the, the exact same dollar amount. And the left didn't know. He said, I was trying to 
give this away and God turned around and gave it right back. It may not always be money. It may be promotion. It may be like Malachi says, God rebuking the devourer, keeping the battery from dying in the cold weather, keeping the flat tire from wearing out, keeping the car motor from breaking down, keeping the mice from coming in and chewing up the wires. The Bible says we can expect a return. How you treat others, there's an expectation that you will be treated that way. How you judge others, there's an expectation. You will be judged that way. You will receive what you give from both God and men. When you give, not if you give. When you give. You don't do it publicly. You don't do it to be seen of others. It's not an option. You give to need. You don't draw attention to yourself. You do it in private. You give of your time, your talents, and your treasures. When you invest, you do it willingly, cheerfully, sacrificially, and expectantly. And then here is what God starts giving back. God says, when you learn to give like this, it'll draw you closer to me. It allows you to be divorced from the commerce, the trade of this world, the kingdoms of this world, so that your heart draws closer to the kingdom of heaven. It prevents all of us. How many of you know everyone in this room can, can become materialistic? How many of you know all of us can worry about the brand on the back of the tab? We can all worry about the, the sticker on the side of the vehicle. We can all worry about the neighborhood, the zip code. We can all become materialistic if we're not careful. But when you learn to be generous in life, when you learn to be a giver in life, it prevents you from giving in to materialism. Winston Churchill said, we as Christians may go about our day-to-day -day lives making a living by what we get. And you know the old saying, we get all we can and can all we get. He said, but as Christians, we make a life by what we give away. Learning to give and be generous draws us closer to God, prevents us from being materialistic, strengthens our faith, strengthens our dependency on God that He will meet our needs. And last but not least, is an investment into eternity. I love this Hebrews, hard to explain. It says, here men die that receive tithes, but there it is witnessed of him who ever liveth that he receives them. Somehow, I don't understand, when we give here in this earth to the things of God, angels take it to a bank account in heaven where God never forgets. I think Jesus said this, I've quoted a lot of great men, a lot of great women today, but Jesus said, for those of us that are Christian, we've got to learn this principle. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You may have received a good gift, you may have received a blessing, you may have received a break, and in the moment it's thrilling. In the moment it's exciting, but as some of these other scholars of time and sages of time have said, you forget it. We're forgetful. We forget that break. We forget that miracle. We forget that blessing. Jesus was saying the excitement lasts longer. The benefits are eternal. When you learn to be a generous person that pours out from the God in you into the lives of others with your prayers, with your support, with your counsel, with your hope, with your faith, there's all kinds of ways to invest. That gives back. Oh, I'm so grateful that somebody took a shot on me. 22 years ago, made an investment in my life, not knowing if it would ever pay a dividend, not knowing if it would ever turn anything around. Here's what I want you to know today. Last thing, maybe you want to write down. Giving is a holy habit. Giving's a holy habit. It's also a normal part of the Christian experience. And it's out of the new nature that we give. You may not have seen what I just did today what the Holy Spirit just did today. We had great time of fellowship before church. We had a great, incredible time of worship, incredible time of prayer. We looked at three holy habits that Jesus said are not optional, they're expected in every Christian's life. And we just took one of them, which is giving. I could have made that statement, put number one on the screen. When you give, I could have left you with that today and you wouldn't have understood, but I took the teaching of Jesus, the Holy Spirit led me throughout this week to not leave you there at when you give, but to take some time and explain giving, explain the heart, explain the concept, give some depth to that, some knowledge to that, information to that, so you can be more prepared. You can be more adequate in walking out of here this week.
to be a giver instead of a taker. How many of you know the world's full of takers? How, how many of you know that if you just become a taker, then you're not salt? The world's boring. Everybody's selfish. The world's boring. Everybody's stingy. The world's selfish. Every, everybody is about them. Dog eat dog world. Me, 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 the me monsters of the world. But it takes salt to come in and to bring a different flavor. Oh, you, you, you want that spot? Oh, you want this seat? Oh, oh, you need this thing? Oh, all of a sudden that sticks out in the world like a light shining in the midst of darkness. I said this Wednesday night to our team, and I mean it now. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I hope, I hope you're grasping what it is that I'm trying to say next week we'll come back and we'll talk about the next half we'll talk about prayer we're gonna bring some depth to prayer I could just say when you pray and leave you with prayer you say man my prayer life's struggling I'm stuck right now I need some okay I'm looking forward to the prayer one because I really wasn't expecting to give one that's okay too said this Wednesday night and still bears out still the truth <clears throat> so many of us love church we love sermons we love notes, we love nuggets, we love preaching, we love doctrine, we love truth, we love revival. And, and, and I love all that stuff too, man, I really do. But I gotta tell you, I, I've sat under some great preachers. I, I've heard some of the most fantastic sermons in person. I've listened to them online. And, and oftentimes it's not what those people preached that made a difference in my life. It's the things that they gave to me, the investment they made into me, the doors they opened for me, the kindness they showed. It, it wasn't necessarily some profound truth. It was a willingness to say, yeah, I'll meet you at 3 p.m. at a coffee shop and we'll get a group together and start helping you work on that. That's what speaks to people in their lives. The Barmores, are they here today? I see the trainers back there. I'm not sure if the Barmores are here. Oh, there's Ashley, there's oh, both Ashleys. <laughs> Ashley Square, John, I see you back there. You know what happened with Peyton, his dad, and his daughter, and his niece several months ago out on Highway 34, very tragically, very suddenly, head on car wreck, bad situation, three lives, family members instantly taken. Do, do you think when people knocked on my door, I, I saw Shelby here this morning. Shelby was knocking on my door. Brooke and I were scared to death. Brooke was looking for a pistol. Brooke was like, I'm telling you, Brooke will shoot you, man. That's who needs prayer. Last week, she's going to shoot my dog. Brooke was looking through the drawer for a pistol. John, who, I was, she said, get your, get up, you the man. I said, go check them out, see what it is. She said, you go. They're banging on the door. I'm I can't even see. I'm trying to look. And they're like, look, I, I wouldn't even open the door at first. I didn't know who it was. I couldn't see. I was, I was like, I don't want to have to shoot nobody. I don't want to get shot and then Brooke have to shoot them. What is going on? I'm trying to, and they're like, you know, trying to tell them, tell them it's a bad situation. I need to come outside. Finally, I was just like, okay, I'm going to get shot. They're going to get shot, whoever, whatever. I opened the door and they said, tragedies has struck. And you need to come to the coroner's office at 3 a.m. in the morning because there's some people in your church that are there identifying the bodies of their daughters, their nieces, and their fathers. Do, do you think I knew what to say in that moment? Do you think any pastor that I called, and I called everyone, and guess what all the pastors of Oaks Church did? They all got up and put their clothes on 3 o'clock in the morning. And all of us went up to the coroner's office, and when this family walked out of the coroner's office from identifying their beloved family members, all we knew to do was throw our arms around them and love them. Now, I didn't say they had a hangnail. I, I didn't say, um, you know, they had a doctor's appointment next Tuesday. I, I said they were in crises. And all we knew to do was to be there and to love on them. They may never remember any sermon Pastor John ever preached. They may never remember what Pastor Todd says, Pastor Rhonda says, Pastor Chris Bay says, anybody. They may never remember another worship song, Pastor Chap. But let me tell you something. I saw on Facebook a few weeks ago, they wrote on Facebook, Lila Grace's mama, that she'll never forget that people she didn't even know were standing there when they walked out of the coroner's office at 3 o'clock in the morning to throw their arms around them and to love on them. There's all kind of ways to give. That sticks out as light in a dark world Jesus didn't say if we're givers 
He said, work at the habit of becoming a giver. This is what the earmark, this is the fragrance, this is the hallmark of being Christian. It's an upside down kingdom. I'm telling you, when we build that building, I'm gonna put a big upside down crown on the wall somewhere in there and I'm gonna write all the upside down counterculture statements of Jesus on that wall. This world says to be great, you gotta go higher. Jesus said to be great, you gotta go lower. It's an upside down kingdom, man. It's an upside down kingdom. Does everybody understand that's just all I'm talking about today, getting our hearts right? Aubrey, for you, I'm put you on blast. You got a brand new baby. You got a young wife. You got a, you, a, a, a new marriage. I can speak from personal failures. Your number one priority right now has got to be your wife and your baby. I know you got a job and I know you want to do good and be promoted. I know you want to sing on the worship team and organize the van route. We appreciate all that. Number one investment of your life right now has got to be your home. It's got to be your wife. It's got to be baby Judah. So many of us, there's things pulling at us and pulling on us and pulling us away. And we've got to make the investments, the giving, the right giving in the right places. Amen or oh me? Amen. I told Brooke, you just get them big enough to go with me and I'll take them from there. <laughs> she got them big enough to go with me now. They everywhere with me now. Huh? Everybody hearing me today? What kind of people are we? What are we, Bobby? Come on, Bobby. If it didn't nobody else get it today, what kind of people are we? We're givers. Givers. There's all kinds of ways to give. It's the right postures to give, attitudes to give. Be a giver. Because Jesus said, when you give, when you give.